the biggest difference between a regular IRA and a Roth IRA is when you pay taxes. So you're either paying taxes before um, or or after. And and the big question is, is taxes going to be higher in the future or are they going to be lower in the future? This is Better Wealth with Caleb Williams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to May 29th, Better Wealth Live, uh, the second annual live, or not the annual, the second weekly live. Um, I appreciate everyone that has given us feedback, thoughts. Uh, and in today's episode, we're going to cover a lot of amazing things. So I'm going to go a little over the overview, and then you're going to drop a parenting lesson for us all to begin. But historic savings rates. It, savings has been at all-time high in April. We're going to take a look at that. We're going to define liquidity from my book and just talk about it. Then a common question that we get is, how much should I be saving for emergencies? We're going to look at the difference between an emergency and opportunity fund. We're going to get depressed and looked at the U.S. debt clock. And then the, the discussion of the week is going to be versus Ross versus and asset. And, and a lot of people have been asking questions about this. We're going to go into live Q&A and, and then ask the question of the week as well, which the question of the week, uh, for those of you that wanted to have a dis lively discussion around the dinner table tonight, is how much should you be saving for emergencies? We're going to be covering that in today's um, you know, lesson or, or live, but it's, it's, it's something that's not like, it's, it's not like just because I say it is, is what you have to do. So anyways, um, it's going to be a great week. How was, how was your last week and what, what is... How can you tee this up as the parenting tip? Because that's very apparent as it relates to better wealth. You know, well, my week was good. Uh, it went really well. There was, we got a lot done as a better wealth team. We're really excited about things coming up. So I think that's been one of the main focuses. And, um, you know, this part is really, was just thrown in there a couple minutes ago. But the the funny thing is, as a parent, I was watching Caleb's eyes. We went over to their house for dinner last night and, I was, you know, I hadn't showered, like we'd been working. And, you know, sometimes as a parent, I just, when you go over to somebody else's house, you just concentrate on um, your. That, that was, I'm sorry. That was a mistake, but that was cool. Okay. Go. <laughs> I know all of a sudden I hear like. All right. So you haven't showered. showered I haven't showered, you know, so when you're going over to somebody else's house, you're, you know, trying to get ready. And um, we went to the house and Caleb's question to me was, where's your girl's pants? <laughs> And I think that that's, you know, as a parent, when you're, you're doing a lot of things, you know, you forget there's, there's that moment you get to focus on yourself. And sometimes it's just a quick shower and you're getting ready and you're out the door. And yeah, my, I think, I think instead of like a parenting lesson, it's like my parenting faux pas of the week or something and how I can learn from it. And, but you know, they're fun. My daughters came with just diapers and a shirt. <laughs> To the, well, to the house. What was also funny is, so Dan is super excited because we got a grill, okay? But we had, there, we didn't have the right parts to actually set this thing up properly. And there's like one little part, um, and people are very clear that I don't know anything about setting up a grill. But anyways, they were like, so we were like running around. Trevor, your husband, was like cooking on the, uh, we- there was Stove top. We were stove top. On the stove and top. you had like, you had- they, we put tinfoil. Yep, tinfoil. And so he's doing that and he accidentally like knocks over the... Or like the top of it like shifts. And so like the hamburgers, yeah. And then there's like this so fire. Fire going on. Dan's outside trying to fix the grill. You have your girls running around hitting people. With no and I'm thinking, 
I think I might just never have children in my life. Like that was my lesson of the day. So your lesson of the day was, was no good. children. Mine was, you know, it's but we had fun. And that was the thing, you know, yes. pants or no pants with children, with you getting ready or not having showers. I think the parenting tip is sometimes after a long week, um, you still need to just come around the people that you love, kids and mm-hmm. everything, no matter what they look like, no matter what we look like, and just have fun. Cause it wound up being a really good night. We wound up having good fellowship and yeah. and fun. And my girls went home without pants on and we put PJs on and they're good. They're yeah. still good. They're still, they're still good. We had a good night. So in today's episode, we are going to break down some really cool things. I actually had to do some research this morning because um, I saw on one of the news articles I was reading that the stats of, of the saving rate is at a historical high. Now, of course, I'm like, what does that even mean? Like, how do you define that? And I think it's interesting out of all the time that we, that we look back, why are savings rate in the month of April the highest that they've ever been? Well, I think it's pretty clear that when you look at what's been going on, the uncertainty, the, you know, what's happening with the virus. And there's just like, no one can predict what's going to happen a month from now, let alone a year from now. And so when you have that uncertainty or quote unquote fear, you, you see a shift in, in savings. And so one of the things that was interesting is to this, this last month, so we're looking at April, the savings rate was 33%. Now I'm going to break that down because you got to be really careful when you look at percentages. Um, but this increased savings came at as, as spending declined by a record 13.6% for that month. So people aren't saving money or right. they're not spending money because we can't go out. Right. They're not spending money. So they don't even have the opportunity to spend that money. Right. Or do you think they're saving because, like you said, the uncertainty? 100%. And so I think there you have that perfect storm of like both, you know, both things. And what's also interesting is, I was wondering, there's probably, there are people that, well, let me break down the stat. So the savings rate is defined as a ratio of the money saved by individuals or families to their disposable income, income after taxes. So there's a couple things that could affect this number. Number one is, yes, people could literally be saving more. Or is it possible that this number could be thrown off by the amount of people that have lost their income and the people that are still making money potentially we're the ones saving in the first place. So I don't know. It's it's interesting if you look back. And so I, I pulled up and all all everything that we're talking about, we're gonna, the notes will be um, after the show is published. You can check out. And if you're watching this on YouTube, uh, please hit subscribe. We're trying to grow our channel and our reach. Um, you can check out all the links below. And so you look at, I'm, I'm showing this uh, from, I think it's, uh, the t- uh, yeah, it's, I have the website. I can't find it right now. Um, but in 2008 or 2007, we had a savings rate of 3.6%. So, of, so that's like, if you look at the definition of savings rate is defined as a ratio of money saved by individuals or families to their disposable income. It's like, that's, that's pretty crazy uh, when, when you think about it. Um, and when you look at like the 1970s, um, you have a pretty, pretty record number of um, people saving, but it was still way less. And so I just find it super crazy that um, it's so high. And I'm, I'm just pulling up, just pulling up something, one other thing here. Yeah, so when you look at this interactive graph, 2019, the savings rate was 7.6%. And you look at 2018, 8.8%. And you go back to 2012, it was 12%. So definitely a major increase. And like, like everything, you got to be careful with stats, but there's definitely that trend 
And it's got to be between, it's got to be three things. Number one, income's been affected. Um, people's uncertainty, which that's going to be kind of a big theme in today's uh, episode. It, the uncertainty is is pretty crazy. And then there's less chances to actually spend money. Although Amazon's doing quite well, uh, I will note, but there's just, there's less opportunities to to save money. So, Do you think that sometimes maybe what also might affect it is that in a type of uncertainty or a time of uncertainty, you know, as a family, we have to make choices. Um, we're making wiser choices in our spending. Yeah, hundred percent. Then, you know, it's, it's a choice of whether or not do we, you know, get fruit roll-ups or how about not? We need to get veggies because like totally. dinner is important. So we're actually seeing a forced choice they have to actually make wiser well and if you look at even the if you kind of define certainty and uncertainty you will go i mean you talk about a lot your mama bear like mm-hmm. you're going to do whatever it takes to cover cover the bases and when times get tight when times get tough and we're seeing our friends and and, and family maybe being laid off or maybe being affected by different uh this virus in different ways like it it does make you just start thinking and 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 who's no one's going to disney world like travels at all, like no one's traveling. Right. So it's it's interesting. Uh, and I, I think it's a step in the right direction. I just find it fascinating that it's it's people are now saving 30% at like, if you just look at the savings rate, it's historically low. And then you wonder why we have a pandemic and we're, we're we get in this, like we are not doing a great job as a country saving. And then you wonder why everyone's panicked when things like this happen. So um, I find it really interesting. One of the things that we're going to incorporate in this show as well is we're going to start defining different concepts from my book. Um, and and the concept from my book that I want to talk about, it comes from page 18 on the And Asset. And if you don't have my book, you can go to andasset.com. You can get your free copy. And uh, just really, really big fan of financial literacy and helping people take back control of their wealth. And the word liquidity came came up. Now, just just putting you on the spot when you think of liquidity mariah what what comes to your mind um because just to give you some context on page 18 i talk about the 16 ideal benefits that you need in an investment like an the perfect investment and one of the benefits was liquidity when you think of liquidity what do you think of you know it's funny um reading your i've read your book and even when you're like hey i think this topic's really important today uh to be honest i was like i I don't remember that vocabulary word. You okay. know, I mean, I would think I would literally think like liquidity would be something that's liquid, something that flows, something that um, moves shapes, you know, just as a elementary teacher, like to me, if I had to break it down in the word, that's what I see. So that's what would come to mind. I'm not using it in my daily vocabulary. It's not something that like I practiced or something, I'd, you know, teach my fifth grader. Hey, right. this is liquidity. But I know that it's really important. I've heard it. I know it's in the book. Um, right. So. Well, we'll we'll take this right out of Investopedia. So they they say, and this brings me back to my college days. Financial liquidity refers to how easily an asset can be converted into cash. So, in other words, um, if your money is in things like a savings account, um, if it's in something like cash value life insurance, if it's in something even like in a stock or a bond um, that you can access, like it's like that's more liquid versus if your money's in a house or if it's in an oil rig or if it's in a um you know a real estate fund that you can't necessarily get your money or there's other there's other alternative investments that some of our clients do that like um you know life settlements for example is is you can't have access to your money 
And so there's there's lack of liquidity. And so what's interesting is, and, and I talk about in the book, liquid, your money is either um, for emergencies or opportunities. Like you can have your money for those, for either emergencies or opportunities. And, and then another definition, Google, um, talks about liquidity refers to the availability of cash or cash equivalents to meet short-term operating needs. Um, and, and so it's, it's very interesting. And, and this is the reason I came up with this concept and I want to talk a little bit about it is we don't value liquidity in, our, in, in this time. Like if you look at America, if you look at a lot of people that we work with, liquidity is not necessarily valued as much as it should be, as much as you know, it's not it's not sexy to talk about. Um, oh, I have hundred thousand dollars liquid, or I have you know X amount of money that I could save for emergencies. We all want to talk about rates of return. We want to talk about how brilliant we were in investing in this stock or this stock, or um, how much money we made by flipping this company. And and if you look at the behaviors of people like Warren Buffett or other successful entrepreneurs and investors, they they have liquidity, they have access to a lot of money, and it doesn't make them stress out. Right. So so going back to just those definitions, my understanding then would be, I mean, even teaching it to my child would be, it's the ability to quickly change whatever we have into cash to use it. But it's there's almost a speed element is what you're yep. saying to that. So something like a house, I'd have to wait, I'd put it up for market, make my corrections yep. before I could potentially get yep. um, that out. Okay. So I mean, and that makes, and in a time like this, it's Huge. scary to have yep. your, to not really have that speed or what you would say the liquidity. Right. Um, and so what's, what's interesting, and I'll take this the next step further. So even in a lot of Investopedia, they talk about stocks being liquid and other investments. Like, and technically, if you invest your money into like an S&P 500 or whatever, and you could, you could withdraw that money at any time, which is true. The problem is, what if the market goes up or down? It's like it's very volatile, and so there's a there's a form of having safety built around some of your liquidity. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, yeah. Because you want to protect it, even though it may be something you can get your money out quickly yeah. with. But if it has this, what you like to talk about, risk of losing it right. to somebody else or to something else, right? Then you you're actually there's two things that you have to be worried about. So you're you're talking about protecting. So not only just having the ability to have liquidity with what you're doing, but then also protecting that. 100%. And I think it's super interesting. And, and one thing that I just want to challenge you, though, if you're listening to this on the podcast, if you're watching this on YouTube, is really think about what areas on the balance sheet, whether it's a savings account, whether it's you know a credit card, whether it's your stock account, whether it's your retirement fund, what areas are you like, what areas would you tap into if you needed money? And, and then does that make you feel good? Does, are, are those assets, do they fluctuate? Because what ends up happening is the reason why most people lose a ton of money emotionally when, when things like a pandemic happens or a stock market crashes is they freak out, they might lose their job, that your need for money goes up. But because everyone's pulling their money out, they're selling at, at all-time low rates. And so that's why the average investor makes like no money because of emotion. It's actually there, their biggest issue. And so just just like defining liquidity, think about emergencies and opportunities. And we're going to talk about an emergency fund and opportunity fund coming up here. Um, but then just also understand that like this is something so important. It's not valued, but really do an audit of your own life when it comes to financial liquidity.
I'd even say that people know it's important, even if they didn't have that definition, because I'm your challenge is really actually quite important. And they probably, you know, when everything globally hit, I really think that they thought about it. They just didn't know so, that they put it in, yeah. in in that vocabulary. But I think that that's even even now it's a challenge to actually put the vocabulary to it, really understand what that is, because that that's important for me to sit down even with my family and say, OK, I actually want to label the things yeah. that are liquid and protected. And I yeah. want to be able to know it for the future. And I think you're right, because if you look at the savings rate being 33 percent and by the way, that's not necessarily long term savings. That's just people are not spending that money right now. And I, the reason that is, is, is I think people are having that, you know, moment of saying, wow, I don't know what two months from now is going to look. I better put some money aside and not go to Disney World this summer. Um, okay, so emergency versus opportunity fund. A lot of people talk about how much money you should have in emergencies. Um, I don't think a lot of people talk about opportunity fund. I want to give credit where credit is due. I, I learned this first concept from Kim Butler. And she um, really helped me understand the difference between covering the bases and having opportunities uh, to invest in. And I think liquidity, having access to capital, is valid for both of those areas. Um, when it comes to emergency fund, how much how much should we save for emergencies? And I'm, I'm going to also put you on the spot right now. If you're a family listening to this, or I don't know if you've, you and Trevor think about this, is like how much money should you save for emergencies? And by the way, this is under this whole idea of liquidity because your savings, your emergency funds by definition should be somewhat liquid. Right. So, okay. So let me, let me back up just a minute because I want to be able to, you know, as a mom, everything's an emergency sometimes. <laughs> so like yes, if I meant wrong. that, then that should be a million and I'll never reach that, you know, but if, it, so emergency funds, when you're talking to somebody about emergency funds, what are, what are some things in, for me to be able to answer this? What are some things I should be thinking about? Is it just the amount of funds I have that in case yep. maybe there's an accident, my daughter needs stitches right. that we can cover the... Um, so good question. So we live in an economy where people live paycheck to paycheck or based off of income and cash flow. So let's say, you know, you you guys make $10,000 a month, just as an example. Okay, you're you're living off of an X percentage of that. And if that, if something happened to your health and you couldn't work, or if something happened like a pandemic and you got laid off, or something happened like your car broke down, how how much how much savings versus if you didn't have any money coming in, how much savings should the average American have if they if if you if we shut off that income? Does that make sense? Right. Okay. So I mean that changes things because if it's like an emergency fund of of just being able to maybe buy a car because ours broke down or something, you know, um, I think I've heard in the past. And so this is where you get to teach me, yeah. <laughs> um, teach me something different, which will be great. Um, I've heard in the past that it would be safe for you income wise with your household to look at all of your expenses and everything that you would need to cover your expenses and have in your emergency fund three months worth. Right. Some I've heard six months because of just the way it is to find a job and probably regain that income back. So I've heard anywhere that you need to take whatever your expenses are and what you need for that month and extend it out to three months and put that in in a savings, uh, your emergency fund, um, you know, and so three to six months uh, worth of in, um, income expenses and stuff to cover all that. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I just did a Google search in CNNBC. Um, has um, something, and we'll make sure that this is in the show notes, uh, but the typical American household has an average of less than $9,000 in an account at a bank or credit union. 
Um, and this is, and also Bankrate has a similar um, stat that they use. And it's interesting because if you look at the average consumption that person makes, that that would only really last one to two months. And that's why we have uh, credit cards at an all-time re- high rate. Um, what we teach at Better Wealth is we encourage people to have a year's worth of assets. And it doesn't necessarily have to just be in a savings account, but assets available that's not going to um, go up or down um, crazy where you could tap into. And when you have that year's worth of reserves, you're, you're going to be bulletproof. Now, that's, that seems crazy. And the reason why the and asset is something that we're so big on is you don't need to sacrifice long-term efficiency. A lot of people are like, well, the opportunity cost, which we'll cover in another segment, um, uh, maybe not today, but uh, we'll have a whole episode on opportunity cost because it's like my favorite topic to talk about when it comes to money. But they talk about, well, if your money's sitting in a savings account, it's not earning long-term. Right. But that is true, but there's other, there's other assets like the and asset that can give you that long-term growth, but that still can give you security and that savings. Another question that people ask is, does uh, credit cards and home equity, does that count as an emergency? And it just, it just goes back to, okay, ho- let's talk about home equities. That's where you can take a, a line of credit out from the bank and, and you don't necessarily, you can tap into it. And my question is, how guaranteed is that? And if you lose your job or if something happens to you, is there, is there anything in the contract that the bank could go back and maybe shut that down because if banks love to lend money to people that don't that don't need it, but they don't like lending money to people that need it. Right. And you, you know, it kind of though, to me, with what you're talking about, you always talk about your your number one asset. Mm-hmm. You have to, my understanding though, too, is if you're relying on your bank or, you know, the equity in your home or credit cards, you're actually relying on somebody else and not yourself. And that's yep. that's scary. I mean, there could be some different things in there that those aren't available. And you're saying like having something with liquidity in it, you need something that's available to you that you're dependent on that totally. you know you have control over and not somebody else. And so um, I think that's a good point because um, a lot of people, I was about to say, the, the default is, well, I have a credit card. I'll just use that yeah. as my emergency fund. But again, then you're putting your emergency in the hands of somebody else and their interest rates and all that. And it becomes way bigger. Right. Than just and and the power of a credit card is it does give us a 30-day window. So it's not like you don't... Kn- no longer are the days where you need immediate cash in your hand today, but you, you do want to create assets where you can tap into that money within 30 days and for it not to be reliant, market reliant, if that makes sense. Yeah. I would highly encourage everybody to have a six months at minimum and shoot for that year, a year's worth of reserves. What does that mean? Well, let's just say if you make $100,000 a year, and, and I use these numbers, by the way, so that it's easy to understand. Because okay, so if you spend eighty thousand, if that's eighty thousand is consumed via taxes, lifestyle, and all these other all these other things, and twenty thousand is quote unquote saved, you you would need somewhere to tap into eighty thousand dollars for that year. Now the the thing that you also have to realize is part of that eighty thousand is paying taxes, and if something happens to your income or if you're if you're disabled, you might you might not um, have to pay taxes. So you always you could potentially. Um, have less and still survive for the year. That's a good that's a good number to think about is like okay, how much money would I need in an account to cover all the basic needs and still like not starve. Right. And it's and 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 it really is something that you should think about. Um most people spend more time planning a vacation or a dinner than they do actually 
thinking about money. And this is this is something that is very relevant as we can see it's on a lot of people's minds as as savings rates spike up. Yeah. And, you know, we've got some listeners who are saying, you know, go for the 12, go for the yeah. 12. And, and um, you know, Cindy made that mark. And one of the things, though, that I'm, I'm wondering, you know, for somebody who may have the great habit of saving and they already or savings and they already have three months, it, you know, six months isn't a big deal or 12 months, you know, that it's just something yeah. that they can do. What about somebody who's not like I, I know six months is a thing, but you're looking at a year's worth of income, a year's yeah. worth of expenses. How do you like what is the time frame on that? What should be there? What should be somebody's well, goal? Because that's a that's a big that's yeah. a big chunk to put in savings. It is it is a big chunk. And and here's what I would encourage people. There's there's a lot of people that are like, pay off your debt. So I see people like paying off their debt like crazy. Um, but they have no money saved up. And so I would just focus on we want to increase your cash flow and that money should go towards your emergency account before you do any kind of investing or you do any kind of crazy debt pay down. Um, and, and so I know that, what did Cindy say? She's, thank you, by the way, Cindy, for, for um, playing right. along. Yeah. So Cindy says, I use my credit cards and HELOC. The, the HELOC for emergencies, but they're backed up by my banking policies. I love that. I, I love that. And so, so what that, what that means is um, she is able to She's she's able to tap into those, and so through efficiency, like she can she can have access to that. But she's not necessarily going into that. She has a reserve that she can go into. So same for me is if I needed to use money, I use the I use credit cards, but I never pay credit card balances um, because it's just it would be too high of interest. So I make sure that I can either pay via cash flow, or if I can, I tap into savings, and that's just a more efficient way to do that. So Cindy, thank you for. Um, in, just including your thoughts. And by the way, as we start Better Wealth Live, like we love people participating and we're going to have segments of uh, where people can come on and we can talk. Um, and so always the first couple weeks are always the most difficult, but I appreciate when we get traction. Um, so thank you for that. Um, I want to talk about opportunity fund because a lot of people talk about emergency fund. It's not very motivating but this is where it should be motivating. If you do your due diligence, if you do the right thing and cover your bases, and I'll use myself as an example, for Better Wealth, we saved and we had, we have over a year's worth of payroll in our savings. Now that's, that's, a, that's a lot of money, but it has given me the confidence and courage to um, really double down and rise up and not be fearful when this, when, um, like the pandemic happens when COVID-19 affects all these businesses. And if we had, if we were like constantly going to the next new thing and had no money because I could justify it, we may not even be in business if we didn't do this proper planning. Right. And you know, it's, it's funny that you say that because I didn't know that you just, you just saying it and I was hired like, and then yeah. like two days later it hit and I'm like, <laughs> you talk know, about we, a bad you know, timing. Talk about bad timing. And my eyes, you know, I literally went to Trevor, my husband, I said, this may not happen. And we had just spent, you know, two days of, of doing this. Okay. Look at all these goals we can do. And yep. maybe we're going to need to restructure again, but yep. having you say that it has brought, you know, we, you open up with saying that the savings because of uncertainty, it brings certainty, totally it brings this emotional freedom. And so to hear you even say that now and right. not knowing that it, cause my heart just started beating and I was like, Oh, like that's awesome. So right. I, I appreciate you. you and, and when you cover the bases, so when you have that emergency and you don't have to worry about things happening that will totally derail you, then you can double down on your business. Then you can 
not freak out when the market crashes, then you can do other things that are, and I'm telling you, it will show up powerfully in your life. Like if you're a business owner, if you cover your bases, yes, on that money, the the growth rate might, might not be like huge, but I'm telling you what you're going to be able to do when you have the, your basis cover are going to be great. And so the opportunity fund is when you have your emergency fund um, set up. So for me, it's a, over a year. And I, as a business owner, want a year of like raw expenses. Okay. So once that's in place, then everything in a, above that is, is, opportunity, is an opportunity fund, which I'm looking at what I call asset-based activities. What are the number one activities that I can do that can bring in the most kind of revenue? So for me, it's business. It's investing in marketing. It's doing a documentary. It's, it's doing joint partners and growing our revenue as a company. You might be watching this and it might be an index fund in the market. It might be real estate. It might be buying and selling businesses. Like you, I, I want this time to just, just reflect what is the number one thing that you can do that such by doing that activity will bring in and help you get closer to your result. And it might not, it might be monetary or it might not be. And so it, I've talked about this opportunity fund because then, then people say, Caleb, where should I invest? And that's almost impossible to answer because it, it's different for each person. Right. And, and so like, what would you, what would you suggest for a family? Like we're invested in better wealth, but if we built this opportunity fund and it's not necessarily something that we, we push out to have monetary fund come back, what, what does that look like for like a family that may not be on this next um, investment opportunity or whatever? What would an opportunity fund look like? Um, if they're like, well, what do you mean opportunity fund as like a family? What would we yeah. do as a family together? What would we do as a husband? Well, I think, I think the question that you would, you guys would have to ask, it, you have to look at your goals. Right. And so, for instance, the, the first goal is to get your emergency fund figured out. And then the next goal is what do you guys actually want? And it could be, it could be if you guys are into wanting to start a business, that could be on there. Or it could be, no, we want to save for retirement, which I'm not a huge fan of that word, but like, what would that, what would be most efficient there? And so the opportunity fund is really another way to say, you should put your money in whatever area that will help you get closest to the goal that you want. Now, here's where I want to challenge people is your core values. And I know this about you, Mariah, is you love your family. Mm -hmm. So it could be, if that's your goal, like if you had $10 million, you'd be doing something similar, investing in your family, loving on your family, loving people, being able to be generous. I'm seeing you do that right now. And you're taking that money and you're making sure that you can put that in a place that is, is helping you get the kind of result that you want. So maybe it just may be an opportunity to find that even though I'm doing something now, it allows me to have the potential in the future yes. to make it bigger or have a bigger impact, yeah. whether or not it's on my family or whether or not it's the hosting with yeah. other people. Okay. And an opportunity cost comes in and says, every decision you make has a short-term and long-term consequence. Just like every parenting decision you make has a consequence today on your kids and and how they will parent their future family. Right. And I've learned a lot of that being here at Better Wealth. I mean, I, I knew that, like I said, I think last time I said, I in the back of my head, I know that. I know mm -hmm. that every choice... I make has a consequence, but I think it was really being a part of the Better Wealth family that we've really looked at finances and everything yeah. really having a snowball effect down the way. So that's a good opportunity cost makes you have that goal. And so the the question the question of uh, the week for you is is how much like how do you guys approach an emergency fund? Have you guys thought about opportunity fund? We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at betterwealth.com. And we love to highlight people like Cindy who um, comment live, but then just also really think about it. And um, regardless of where you are in life, have that discussion around emergency and opportunity fund. All right, we're going to go on to a more depressing topic. 
and that's the U.S. debt clock. I, I, I was thinking every every week that we do this, I might just have an update on the U.S. debt clock. It is the most depressing, sad thing um, that I've that I see in a while. So if you're ever like in a in a good mood and and you want to like feel really terrible, go to usdebtclock.org. It's usdebtclock.org, and you're you're going to see a lot of numbers that are going ticking really quickly. I like, there's a part of me that doesn't want to see it. Like I, when you yep. said that, like I get this pit in my stomach because I know, I know just my own stuff, you know? And so that makes me, but to just see it na- nationwide, because I also know what that's going to be for my children. Exactly. I think it's that future. And that just gets this pit feeling in my stomach. So, okay. I feel like I need to close. My well, and, and just like, it's cool because right here, so 20, over $25 trillion. <sighs> like, and it, by the way, Every twenty three seconds, a million dollars gets uh, gets put on to the the clock because of interest. So it's like we talk about the power of compounding. This is the power of compounding working against us. Um, the debt per taxpayer is over two hundred thousand oh. dollars, which which to be honest is not as bad as I thought. And it's just, I mean, it's just really sad that you're thinking about like your kids are literally coming in and already have they're coming in and already have debt. Yeah. Over their head. And we're going to see that. Like the big question is, what is the like, what is this going to add up to? Um, it's going to make um, things need to change. OK, so now you're you're having me look at this. I know that it's like super depressing. Yeah. And, and we had it live. But like that clock looks like it has a million different numbers yep. on it. What what one is a family or even just as like that you would what number would you focus on or what number would you want to actually be looking at that might even help you start planning for like taxes. No, I really, really, to be quite frank, it's a good snapshot to where we are as a country. And so I use this. I mean, I have a a presentation that I give when you look back all the way to 1980, where you look at where our debt was, Mm -hmm. and then you look at every 10 years and you just, and you just, you don't have to say much. You can just say we as a country are spending a ton of money. Like, by the way, a trillion dollars doesn't even seem like we're numb to that, but that's, insane amount of money and we're we're spending at a we're spending at just an unbelievable rate like and you just look below here the u.s um federal spending uh deficit is over six trillion dollars this year well that's because we had one of the greatest bailouts of all time and the the u.s federal tax revenue is only three so that's a that's a that's a deficit of over three trillion dollars and again it's like what why am I talking about this? It's because at Better Wealth, we want people to start thinking about what are the implementation, what are the consequences of of us going into debt as a country, and how is this going to show up for you? And and it's funny to me when people just look like they don't see the big picture, and they say, "Oh, investing in my four hundred one k, investing in my IRA is not going to have any consequences." Well, it could have big consequences. And the big philosophy is, where's the government? How's the government going to pay for all this? Right. So it's 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 interesting. I did I did the math. Um, twenty three, and this was just today. And I'm I'm assuming this is going to get worse and worse. But every twenty three seconds, a million dollar increases. And so if this if this show goes an hour, that means uh, the U.S. debt increased by over hundred and fifty six million dollars in just, just this hour. And just just think, I, I share that because it's going to tee up our conversation about Roth IRAs versus and asset. This is this is the discussion of the day. Um, and it really comes down to where should you put your money? And the Roth IRA is a very common place that people want to invest their money. 
And I want to just break this down because the common question that we've gotten this this last couple of weeks is like, Caleb, it sounds like the Roth IRA and, and what you talk about in your book are the same thing, or it's very similar. What are the differences? What are the pros and cons? And I want to break that down for everybody in this video. So any thoughts so far as, as far as, you know, the debt clock, liquidity, the savings rate, um, you still hanging in there? I'm still hanging in there. You know, I think something was said this week when we were at one of our gatherings, one of our meetings is that there are, there are certain people who constantly talk about money and those are the people that have control and understand it. And I, and I, in, even though this is scary and even though I don't understand it, the more I talk about money, the more I really am open to the reality of the different avenues where money can go and yep. different things. I feel more confident to be able to take that control in my life. So I, as scary as some of this is, and as much as I don't understand a good chunk of it, the more I talk about it, I just feel like I'm in more control over it. So, and I'm really interested in this next topic because I have a lot of people ask me about that. And I, you know, I've even found myself this last couple of weeks because of a friend researching, what is the difference between an IRA? What is the difference between a Roth? And, you know, and so um, I'm really interested to learn about this. So do you real quick, do you know, you know what a Roth IRA is? Okay. So here's when I did my Google search and this is a couple of weeks ago. So let me, let me sit here and I, and I did it in a compare and contrast between an IRA and a Roth. So the only thing that I was really looking for was anything dumped into an IRA is it is pre-taxes because it can be done with employers or whatever, but Mm -hmm. whenever it comes out, it's going to need to be taxed. Correct. The Roth, however, is taxed. So whatever you put into it, you don't get a tax benefit. You don't get a tax. However, it still holds the same potential fees. Yeah. And other things that you would see the the, the biggest difference between a regular IRA and a Roth IRA is when you pay taxes. So you're either paying taxes before um or or after. And and the big question is is taxes going to be higher in the future? Or are they going to be lower in the future? And I think I think the, there's a reason I put the U.S. debt clock, um, and we talked about that before, just to anchor, really, to get our minds um, around this. The other thing that I want to just, and this is not popular, by the way, what I'm about to say is IRA stands for an Individual Retirement Account, and it's a government-sponsored plan. And I just, just this is just a, just something to think about. Most of America, the ones that are saving, are putting their money in accounts that are government sponsored. And then you look at the disaster that the government is with 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 using and spending money. It just gets you wondering. It's like, could there be a big time negative effects that we're not even talking about? Like there's like we can't just look back in history because in 30 years ago we didn't have 25 trillion dollars in debt. So the question is like what is going to happen in the next 15, 20, 30 years when our country needs money? And they control that and they control that and can change it, quite frankly, at any time. Now, again, I'm not, I, I just want, I want to get, I want us to get all thinking. I'm not, I'm not making any predictions. I just, I grew up as a skeptic and I grew up as a, whenever someone's giving you a benefit, that means they can also take that away. And it's just interesting. So uh, the difference between Roth and a traditional, think of the wrapper, a Roth is a tax-free wrapper. Think about that. It's not, a lot of people think Roth IRAs are a special type of, you know, investments. No, you could, you can essentially, you could invest in a business through a Roth IRA. Okay. The Roth IRA just is essentially is money put in is after tax. So it's not like you pay taxes on the money going in, but you, you pay tax on your income. It money, it gets put into a Roth and then anything that it grows to, you can take that out tax-free. 
Now there's there's limits to when you can take out the interest before 59 and a half. And there's, I mean, there's there's provisions. Um, but the biggest, biggest difference in a Roth IRA is there's a is a contribution limit. And in 2020, the limit for singles um, or to where they can't even put money in is if you made over $139,000 as a single in 2020, you would not qualify for a Roth IRA, meaning you can't even put money in. It's not really a vehicle that you can totally control. I mean, it's it's pre-tax, but you can't, you can't even... You can't put hundreds can't of thousands of dollars, thousand dollars in. Yep. Even though it's yours. Like, well, you it's, it's because there's... Why, why do you think that is? Well, because they... Because if everyone did yeah. it, the government would have no money in the future. Right. Um, and then for married couples, the limit is a, a little over $200,000, $206,000. And so if you made over that, you wouldn't even qualify for the Roth. But those who do qualify, and I just, again... Think about this. The ones that do qualify in 2020, the contribution limit is $6,000 a year unless you pay, um, unless you're over 50. And if you're over 50 years old, um, I guess the government feels more sorry for you. And so you have the ability to put in $7,000 a year. So big, big picture, the difference between a Roth and an AND asset is contribution limits. Like an AND asset, um, which by the way, I wrote a book called The And Asset. It's a, using a special type of strategy, using whole life insurance where you overfund a special type of whole life where your money can grow the rest of your life. And um, there, there are differences. We'll, we'll break that down. Um, but, but the big difference is in an And Asset, you can design a plan to put in a lot more than $6,000 a year versus a Roth IRA. You're limited. And there are things like Roth 401ks. And if you're going to do a 401k or an IRA, I highly suggest you ask yourself the question, are taxes going to be lower or higher in the future? And if you think that they're going to be the same or higher, I would encourage you to look at the Roth option. Um, but the big difference is the contribution limits um, and and then also the idea of leveraging. So Caleb, let me ask you this. I know I know what your book talks about and I know I know what we do, but if somebody were to be looking at these vehicles, it's, it's assuming um, some of the people that I've talked about is that Everything that's retirement fund, unless it's your own bank account, you know, if you're going to put it into another program or something, it's all government run. So you're, so what you're really saying is that IRA, the Roth, those are government backed, um, kind of controlled. Yep. Um, but there are vehicles like what you discussed in the end asset that aren't government controlled. Right. And then, and they don't have the caps or the limits. Right. And the, it's really the difference between contract law and tax law. Like when you have your money in a contract that is between two private parties, you and, and an insurance company, that, that, is, that is held at a different standard than uh, we, we've seen the different tax changes. Like literally, the reason you have to continue to look up the differences is they can change at any time. Congress just sent, made a change where you could take out a certain amount of money in your, your 401k or IRA and it wasn't subject to a certain amount of penalties. They can make that change immediately. When it comes to contract law, you can't just mess with contract law. So right. that's so a big in difference. Two years or in a year or in six yeah. months when things are hopefully back to normal, people yeah. are doing that. They can just re-change right. that law again. Right. Okay. So yeah, you've got several listeners who are saying like, I guess I just don't have a lot of confidence in those vehicles. Right. And I, and again, I don't, I, I just want to get people to think I'm, I'm obviously think a little bit different than the average person. And that's something that I've always kind of had in the back of my brain is like, I want to think about where and this is biblical where you build your house you want you don't want to build it on the sand you want to build it on the rock okay um we might have to do a whole episode on that by the way oh, but love to. um anyways so the big so the big so number one we're not if you make a ton of money you may not even be able to qualify for a roth and even if you do even with the roth 401k you're not you're not going to be able to save significant um, amount of money 
So if you believe that taxes are this big deal, like do your research and there's very few places that you can even put your money where it has the ability to grow without government intervention. You have a Roth IRA, you have life insurance, and then you have municipal bonds, which are a whole nother story. And, and if you look at where, yeah, do your research on that and ask the question, do you think states could pay that? Right. Um, and that's, that's a whole, that we're not even going to get into that. I opened up a can of worms. Now let me ask you a question. Cause in, in my brain and just like not knowing all this stuff in general, like to me, I might ask why even put my money in a Roth or even somewhere, why not just take that amount that I want to, to save or whatever and put it in my own bank account, like that little savings button that you click. Yep. Is there, I mean, well, because Roth IRAs, you can invest in things like market the stock market and have it grow and all that growth, you wouldn't have to pay taxes on. Okay. So it's like, think of it like a tax-free wrapper. Okay. Okay. And that's, that's, that's the good, good parts of it. Um, But the other big part, and this is, this is something that needs to, to register for people is an and asset, the idea of saving your money into life insurance, it's, it, that's not an investment. That, that is literally like the result is not to invest your money for long term. It's just a place to store your capital. And then you can also leverage that asset to invest in the market, to potentially invest in a Roth, to invest in real estate, to put your money into um, a, you know, your business. Whereas a Roth, once your money is invested in something, it can do that one thing but you can't leverage it. It can't do multiple things. And so the the big philosophical difference of the difference between an and asset and a Roth is they just function differently. A Roth is like more of a final destination or asset. Your money's in the market and growing or it's not. You take it out, but it's not working for you. Whereas the and asset is like a place to store your capital in, under contract law where it will grow conservatively the rest of your life and i.e. that's why my book's called The And Asset, you have access to to collateralize or borrow against your money to do other things and your money continues to grow. It's just a different, it's, it's different ways to, to think about um, everything there. Um, I'm going to go through the benefits and then if you want to look at the comments and see if anyone um, has, has anything. So I, I've come up with eight benefits to think about when you're looking at an investment. And I'm, um, we're going to talk about what they are, and then we're going to compare what a Roth is and an and asset and just get you to think about it. So first of all, safety. Safety, just pretty much the definition of like how confident are you of that asset going up or down and how confident are you that it's going to remain safe. Second is control. Control is one of the greatest aspects of um, having access to money. And I would also think control is another form of control is liquid. Third is growth potential. You have to look at long-term ability to grow your money. You have to look at other factors like the market, taxes, fees that could, that could prohibit the growth. Leverageable. This is, this is your ability to um, borrow against that asset, allowing it to continue to grow. Tax-deductible, tax-free growth, tax-free access. These are three functions that happen within an investment. You can either get a deduction when you put your money in, your money could grow without paying taxes, and you could access that money without taxes. And then the the eighth element is the protection aspect. Because the and asset is is an insurance contract, there's other there's other benefits like a death benefit, like a, you know, potentially a disability rider. There's there's riders that could also show up like a long-term care benefit as well. And those are those are things that are are really key. Now, if we look at a Roth IRA, is is a Roth safe? Well, 
it's hard to, you could have a Roth in a savings account. So you could say, uh, absolutely. But majority of the time when people put their money in Roth IRAs, um, it's put in the market. And so the, no one would say, oh, this is like safe money that you're investing in. So there's chances of risk, which the definition of risk is your chance of loss. So a Roth IRA is not safe. Is it liquid and controllable? So the answer is technically you can take that money out. But going back to what we talked about, about earlier, would you want to take out your money for like that would be highly not um, recommended. And if you took that money out, you'd have consequences long term. Right. Third, growth. I will give the Roth IRA green for growth. Over a long period of time, I do believe that if it was invested properly, you would see growth in a Roth. So it, it, that gets a green, yes. Le leverageable. Um, technically, it can be, but uh, for most people, they're not able to leverage their Roths. So, you know, it's you, some people can like in margin accounts, but for the average person, you're not able to borrow against your Roth and let it continue to grow. So that's a no. Is it tax deductible? No. You don't get a tax deduction for putting your money in, but you get your money to grow tax-free and you get to use it tax-free the rest of your life. And those are both great. And if you look at where taxes could go, that that alone is why I believe if you're gonna if you're gonna do your money in a government-sponsored plan, I think a Roth is a better move. Let me ask you something about the growth part of it. I know that you said that like there's a cap at how much you can and you can invest into that Roth, but is there a cap on how much it can grow or is a Roth no. a place where it would just yep. continue to grow? There's not that. There's no cap, but there's no, I mean, you could also lose money. Right. So, and, and by the way, that is if it's, if it's in a mutual fund or an index, which most Roths are invested in some kind of stock account. That makes sense. And then protection wise, Roths don't have any disability or life insurance protection or whatever. That's pretty self-explanatory. Um, whereas the end asset, your money is safe. It's like contractually guaranteed which means if everything hit the fan, these companies would ha like, not only would your money be safe, but they would, it would be guaranteed to grow. Um, if it's a certain kind of contract, I'll, that's my only disclaimer. Um, can you control and is it liquid? 100%. It's probably one of the biggest, I talk about in my book, the ninth wonder of the world is having control and use over your money. And so yes, it's 100% liquid. Um, and you can access your money for emergencies or opportunities. The growth-wise, this is where whole life insurance gets a bad rap. If set up and used properly, it does have long-term growth rate. We look at, we, we can break this down. Like you're not, only, you're not playing a retirement game, you're playing a lifetime game. So not only will your money, once you put it in the, in the end asset, will it grow the rest of your life, but it will grow without losses. It will grow without paying unnecessary fees. It will grow without paying, um, it would grow without, worrying about taxes. And so then when you say we're going to play a lifetime game versus a retirement game, it, it in some cases will even outperform market-based assets when you, when you add in emotion. Right. I could do a whole podcast on that one thing. The big, the big thing that I love about the and asset is, is it's le leverageable. In the contract, it states that you can borrow against um, the cash value and your money will continue to grow. And in the short term, Mariah, that doesn't mean much. But over a long period of time, you have an economic engine that's going to continue to grow the rest of your life, but you still have access to that capital to do other things. Right. And I'm telling you, when you can have a financial system that takes a dollar and will grow that dollar for the rest of your life, but that you can still have access to capital to do other things, whether it's emergency or whether you want to invest in an opportunity, that one behavior will be a game changer. As a mom, that just... It that just gives so much hope, especially, you know, a lot of our listeners, you got Johnny and you got Cindy and they're just, you got some listeners that are piping in just with this 
just like this gut thing about our debt and where we're at. And I really love what you're talking about with this, these storing your money vehicles, because it does bring hope. I loved that you walked through that compare and contrast because for me to be able to build something for my kids. So, I mean, that's a question. That's, I guess that's another question. And actually, Johnny, if you want to pull that up, Jason, Johnny asked a question, how do you compare and slash justify fees between IRA versus whole life? Great question. And here's, here's, here's how I would answer that. So when you talk about a fee, a, a, usually a fee is based off of a percentage of your assets being managed. Or if you're investing certain funds with certain advisors, they have a front-loaded fee. And so you get, for the amount of money that you get put in, they, they take a percentage off the top. In most cases, you're paying a percentage of, of your total portfolio. And I talk about in my book, the damaging effects of a 1% or 2% fee and how that can really cost you over time. Whole life insurance, the, where it gets a bad rap is the cost of insurance. If you design it the way that typically it's, it's designed, you have like no cash value in the first couple of years. And all that money is not going towards a fee, but it's going towards the base cost of insurance. And because whole life is built in from day one, it's front loaded. And so it's not necessarily a fee because you're still, you're investing in an asset as a death benefit. But if you don't necessarily um, value the death benefit, you can't call it a fee, but it is, it is a drag on cash. And so when we compare it to fees, we would have to compare it to a drag on cash. And, and so when you design what the way that we design and assets, we are making the base small and front loading with other riders that that give you direct cash, lowering that drag. Um, but then you also, we also teach the value of having a permanent asset that continues to grow. So I hope that answers your question, Johnny. That's a great question. And, and honestly, I should make a video that breaks down the difference between fees and cost of insurance. And then the difference between how most people design life insurance, which is very relevant, like it's massive drag versus the way that we do it, where there's way less of a drag. In fact, um, you could easily look over time, uh, the difference. And the other big thing is fees penalize you the more money that you have. So a million, a 1% on a million bucks is quite a bit of money versus in, when you set up a life insurance. Yes. In the first couple of years, you do see that quote unquote drag, even though it's not a fee, it's, it's a permanent asset, a death benefit. But every year you get more and more efficient. And, and when you look at that corridor of insurance, that gap of insurance getting smaller and smaller every year, technically your quote unquote cost of insurance or your, your cost at risk goes down significantly as well. And so unlike every other account where your fee, you pay more in fees, when you look at how much money you have, you would pay less in cost of insurance every year that you, that you use this plan. Hopefully that's not, not too much, um, going on there, but that's how I would answer that question. And then, um, just going back to the and asset. So we love it being leverageable. Like this is like this, this is the quote unquote secret and it's extremely, extremely powerful. And then the say it, it works the same way that the Roth, I, Roth IRAs do is it's tax deductible. Uh, it's not tax deductible. So you don't get a benefit putting money in or you don't get a deduction, which is fine because if you have to choose between one or the other, I would much rather have my money under contract law grow tax-free and have access to use my money without paying unnecessary taxes. Who knows where the tax rate's going to be in the future? Yeah. So it's just something to think about. And then the other big thing is what is the value? And just going back to what Johnny said is we talk about fees. What's the value of actually having a permanent death benefit that when set up properly will increase? And what's the value of having a benefit that could act like a long-term care rider 
there. What's what's the benefit of having special type of insurance benefits there so that if something does happen to your income, if something does happen to your life, if something does tragic happen to your health in the future, that you're creating a plan that's not only going to give you upside, give you control, but give you actually security for when things happen. That's awesome. And I think I can't wait for the next or a topic here soon to go into that because yep. that that is a lot. That's a lot to digest, especially if you're not familiar with it. But um, that's a night. I loved how you compared and contrast that for me. I think that can we, is that something we can put um, that sheet or maybe we have like a compare and contrast because even as a family, yep. it'd be good it, to look at that. Com- that well, and one of the, one of the, one of the things that I'm going to do uh, on the show, it's, and as you can see, it's less it's not scripted. It takes time there. I apologize in advance for if you want something tight, go onto our YouTube channel because one of the things that I'm going to do in Roth is I'm going to make a quick video that talks about the difference between Roth and IRA. And, and I, and I always will pilot these things on this show. So we'll get questions and that we can talk things out. And so Yes, we're we're going to continue to innovate. Like every question that you ask us, by the way, we're either going to make a video or address it on the show because we want to be the company that's committed to serving you and answering your questions. And so, so um, it would be helpful, those that are listening now, if they have, I mean, we, because we're driving this episode on just our notes that kind of came up from today, would it be helpful for people to get a hold of us like yep. info at betterwealth.com to ask more questions so that yes. you can put that in your videos? Please ask questions. I, I just shout out to Cindy and Johnny. You guys are amazing. Thank you for being pioneers and helping us get this show off the ground. If you're on YouTube and you have not subscribed to our channel, like it means the world when you do that. If you hit the like button, it helps YouTube say, hey, people are actually listening to us, which is awesome. And making comments is awesome. And then this will also be, we're, we're committed to putting this on our podcast because we do know that there's some people that just like to hear me talk, which God bless you, you know? Um, so, so in summary, this is just in summary, historic savings rates are at all time high in April. And we just, and it's because of the uncertainty, I would assume, and probably because ratios can be misleading. And there's some people that lost their jobs and you could potentially say the people that lost their jobs I, I don't want to make any assumptions, but you could, you could, it would be interesting to see the people that lost their jobs, what their savings were compared to the ones that still have it. Just, just interesting things um, to think about. We define liquidity. Right. We then looked at the difference between emergency and opportunity fund. And the question of the day is, is what does that conversation look like for your family? And how do you guys determine what number that is? And how do you, where do you save that money? Then we looked at the debt clock. Um, and and which is depressing and by the way we're coming up on an hour so this was a 156 million dollar hour uh if you were if we were on the u.s debt uh clocks time um and then we looked at the difference between a roth ira versus an and asset and and as i do a shorter video we kind of talked about the different um the different pros and cons to that any final thoughts for you, from you? You've been a trooper. I know yeah. I'm I'm soaking it all in because this is great and it's, you know, driving my mind on like how I can have that conversation with my family. Um, you know, I the there's multiple reasons about why our country is saving more, but my takeaway is still though, we still have to think about it as a family. We have we still have to understand what our goals are, what our whys are and to save and to really make sure that we're putting them in great vehicles and and where and why and how much. 
And so, you know, my takeaway is looking at, okay, what are the goals I need to have as a family to set that number of savings? Um, and you had mentioned takeaway that 12 months is a great goal yep. to have for the emergency fund, but then also the opportunity fund and not to be scared of an opportunity fund, I guess would be my takeaway to allow myself to have that hopeful ability to say, what could we as a family do to grow our family or to do amazing things? Um, to expand or great have great opportunities. I mean, that's great. I think people who aren't saving or investing in that fund yep. might feel stuck. So I loved that we we talked a little bit about that. And I do really love the tool that you just gave. I mean, I know you walked through Roth and uh, the difference between the Roth and the and asset, but I just think that's a wise tool to be taking or that, um, you know, even just the mindset of saying, I'm going to take before I just do it because everybody else is doing it before I just set up a retirement plan through an IRA or whatever, you know, maybe what I need to do is really compare it, like set it up between and here and compare it between those points that you were talking about and how it, is it really best for my family to do that? Is it really best in my emergency fund, my opportunity fund and for my future? And that's, and that's why we as a company have um, Better Wealth Unlimited. It's, it's our blueprint to help people think about those three, those three categories. Think really clearly, clearly about what you want and then give you lifetime coaching to be able to do that and then create a community of people that can help you with that conversation. One of the things that um, our head wealth coach, Jeremy, talks about is your family economy. And unlike um, the U.S. government, that they can just print money and be totally irresponsible um, going into massive, massive, massive debt, we can't do that. And so just just imagine like if you were running your your personal economy, which we all are, we all are responsible for the the our personal economy. I I have responsibility over a business economy as well as personal. Um, we have to be thinking about the ins and outs, and that's why liquidity, emergencies, and just opportunities. Those are all very very relevant. So, with that, thank you so much. Um, I very much enjoyed being on here. I appreciate all the uh, participation. I appreciate all the great feedback that we've been getting and the encouragement. And we are continuing to commit to bettering this process. And if you've ever been live, sometimes it can be it can be a challenge. So thank you, Mariah, for keeping me on track. Uh, thank you, Jason, for being the producer behind the scenes, uh, making this interactive. And uh, thank you for t- taking time listening to this and sharing, helping us share our message. Thank you so much for listening to the Better Wealth Podcast. It would mean the world to me if you could hit subscribe, leave a review, and share this with the people that you know and love.